Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 51st edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebound. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys tonight. We're actually recording over Zoom to uh, to go ahead and get this edition in for you guys and have a recap up for you as quickly as possible. Carolina coming off a... Uh, 72-53 to 53 win over UNC of Asheville tonight in the Smith Center. Not the most impressive thing, but I think given the, the weekend Carolina was coming off of and really the way they played on Sunday, today was more about just getting a win back under your belt, get some confidence back in your team as you head into Thanksgiving break with Thanksgiving Day uh, just now a little over two days away. Buddy, we're, we're going to go through, we're going to give you a quarter of the game, a stat of the game, and then our overall takeaways. But before we do that, just get some initial thoughts on tonight's win in the Smith Center. I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I saw a lot of people on social media after the game, and I know that's not the area that you need to go for your basketball takes because people are hot-headed morons most of the time, uh, including us. But uh, – I don't, I don't feel like it was that bad of a performance. I feel like there were a lot of people that were basically casting this off as, as one of the worst performances of the season. Um, I still feel like there is a ways to go with this team for sure. Um, I don't think with what you saw tonight that you feel great about where you're at going into the game against Michigan. But I also think that if for some reason you didn't play this game and you were heading out of the Tennessee game to then play Michigan, I feel like you feel a lot better now than you felt the other day. So, I mean, look, there's, there's some things that are very reminiscent of, of what happened a year ago that are really frustrating. Um, but, you know, there were some signs tonight of a, a team with a little bit more effort. I saw a lot of people saying there wasn't really any effort at all. Uh, I didn't see that. But maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. 
Yeah, no. Um, I think there's there's value in playing in the, the event Carolina played in over the weekend. But these games also have value as well in their own way. And I'll explain that a little bit later in, 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 in this podcast. Let's go ahead and take a look at the box score. Carolina, of course, 72-53 winners. They shot 49% from the field, 27-55 from the field, 7-14 from behind the three-point line. That's, of course, for all you math majors out there. That's 50%. Carolina has shot over four, uh, over 40% from three in every game but one so far this season. Meanwhile, they held the Bulldogs to just 26% shooting, a season low so far for Carolina defensively. Just 19% from three, seven of 37 attempts tonight for UNCA. Carolina from the foul line, 11 of 13, so 85%. They've shot now over 80% in three straight games from the free throw line. Uh, UNC Asheville, 71%, 10 of 14. Here's where it gets a little bit ugly. 18 turnovers tonight for Carolina. That's a season high. They forced just seven turnovers for UNC Asheville. Asheville scored 19 points off of Carolina's 18 turnovers. A big reason why this game was a lot closer in the second half than it should have been of the seven turnovers forced of Asheville. Carolina scored Eight points off of those. Rebounding. Carolina with their largest rebounding margin of the season, 51-229. But here's where it gets a little finicky. They had 38 defensive rebounds compared to just 14 for UNC of Asheville. But the Bulldogs had 15 offensive rebounds compared to just 13 for Carolina. So they not only out-rebounded Carolina on the offensive glass, they had more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. That's really hard to do. Um, Carolina, 13 offensive rebounds, as I said. They converted that into 14 second-chance points. Asheville, 15 offensive boards, just eight second-chance points in that number. Carolina outscored the Bulldogs 17-14 to 14 off the bench, led by Brady Mannix, eight points, 34-22 to 22 in the painted area, which was really big considering how bad Carolina got beaten in the last two games up in Uckersville, Connecticut, a 96-40 to 40 disadvantage over the weekend in the painted area against Purdue and Tennessee. And the fast break, 13 to nothing, Carolina. Asheville, though, had the advantage in blocks with 8-3, to in steals and 7-6. to And then Carolina handed out 15 assists compared to just 8 for, um, for Asheville. So that's a really weird box score considering the margin of Carolina's win by 19, considering the disparity in the field goal percentage shooting, and the, as well as Carolina not only shot the three, but defended the three. But the big thing that came out about that box score was the turnovers, a season high, um, and, and that's something we're going to get to here in just a minute. I mentioned we had a quote of the game. We go back to Hubert Davis for today's quote. This is what he said on the Tar Heel Sports Network post game. This is not what he said to the overall media, but just one on one with Jones Angel. He told Jones, "I felt like we got better tonight, but I'm more excited to have a break between games to get better during practice." And I think that's that's really telling. I think we all wanted to see Carolina play a lot better tonight than they did on Sunday, and a lot of ways they did. But the issues that we want to see corrected that need to be corrected. They weren't going to be fixed in less than 48 hours. Um, you got to you got to remember they played Sunday afternoon. They came home Sunday, so it wasn't like they were able to practice again on Sunday. Just yesterday to prepare for tonight's game, and then of course they had to play. So this this eight day layoff in between games will be a, will be a good chance for Hubert Davis and his staff. 
to really get back in their team, work on their issues, and then we'll be able to tell in Michigan, okay, did, did, have they learned from their mistakes? Are they taking the necessary steps to get better as a basketball team? As for tonight's stat of the game, I kind of um, debated myself to either go positive or negative. I went positive because Carolina won, and I went with the, the field goal percentages. Carolina, 49% from the field. That's a really good mark. But holding UNC Asheville to just 26% shooting, I know the competition isn't great, but this team needs to have confidence um, in themselves on, on the defensive end of the floor. When they look at the stat sheet from tonight's game, they'll be able to be confident that they did a really good job on, uh, on playing some team defense and some individual defense. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to play this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're going to come back and get into the minutia of tonight's win over UNC of A. The NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. It doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However, they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Basketball, football, UFC, you name it, DraftKings has it. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars and total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with the promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. One per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you over here on the Four Corners podcast and what Anthony's been giving you guys on the Heel Tough blog podcast is a great way for you to get extra cash in your pockets to, uh, to get your family some great holiday gifts as we near Christmas. Let's get into our main takeaways from tonight's game. The first thing I, I got written down was Armando Baycott. 22 points, um, 8 of 14 from the field, 6 of 7 from the foul line, 7 rebounds, and just 29 minutes, so an efficient night on the floor. He was the best player on the floor tonight. Um, he's Carolina's best player. Asheville threw some different guys at them, including Drew Pember, who's a really good defensive player, but they didn't have an answer for him. And I thought the biggest thing I took away from Armando Bacon, and this was something I stressed a lot at the end of last year, heading into this year, you're the team's best player. So you need to get to the point where you are demanding the ball. And I thought there was a point in the second half when Asheville cut it to a 45 to 38 lead. Not only did he make it a point to get the, the, the ball back in his hands, but so did Hubert Davis. He scored on five consecutive possessions for Carolina. That's the sign of him growing into a leadership role, becoming more comfortable, being a leader both on and off the floor, being a vocal leader. And, look, I've said it 
I said it all preseason, and I've said it since the season started. And look, Carolina is shooting the three very well. Their best offense is still playing inside out through Armando Baycott, and he showed you again to, and he showed that again to you tonight as he lifted Carolina with those twenty-two points. Yeah, he, he definitely was the best player of, of the group for Carolina, and. I, I, I'm with you. I think especially in these games against the mid-majors, you need to be able to get the ball inside to him as often as you possibly can. Um, now, look, part of that is is probably the reason why Carolina turned the ball over as much as they did sometimes, trying to force passes that weren't there uh, to the inside. But, I mean, this – these are the types of matchups that you need to take advantage of right now during this portion of the season to try to get him into a rhythm and get him confident enough to where when you start facing some of those better front courts that you're going to face later on in the season, uh, he's, he's up to the task and, and, and is a guy that it can sort of re- resemble and, and maybe not to the exact level of some of the performances that we saw, but, you want to get back to having a big man that can put up the type of performances that we saw from Luke May back in 2018 and from Garrison Brooks back in 2019 in the front court. So um, this was one of those types of performances, not as efficient as he has been, uh, you know, for you know the majority of the early part of the season here, just eight of 14, but got to the free throw line. And, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely starting to become more aggressive. Pember, as, as you mentioned, did a really good job on him, a couple of, a couple of really good blocks. Um, and that was something that we knew coming in. He was averaging three and a half a game somewhere around there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this, this is a guy that is a pretty good defender for somebody of his size. Um, and, and I definitely think that uh, Baycott still got the best of him in this game. Uh, you got to give him credit because Carolina needed somebody to step up um, and a couple of times needed somebody to just stabilize this group because they weren't getting what they were hoping for on the offensive end in this one. And Armando Baycott did exactly that uh, for them in this game. The second thing I got written down, and we're really going to dive into this because this is really the biggest area improvement for Carolina, was on the defensive end of the court. And I thought it looked a better-ish tonight. It still wasn't clean. It still wasn't crisp. And it's really hard to complain when you allow an opponent to just, to just shoot 26% from the field and 19% from three. But if you were to face a better offensive team, those numbers would have been marginally better because they still gave up a lot of quality looks at the basket. Asheville just frankly can't shoot the basketball. And so I think the thing is is this. It's not going to get fixed overnight, but you got to take baby steps. And I thought tonight in the first seven to eight minutes, kind of like that Loyola game, they took baby steps. The intensity was there. The effort was there. The communication you could actually hear on the broadcast at times. Um, And so they were doing some things better, but it was like the second that they got relaxed into the – and the game kind of settled in and they built the lead. Well, all of a sudden they relaxed. They gave up some some plays that, you know, some shots that they shouldn't have given up because everything kind of broke down again. 
And so I think it's all about getting that consistency. Hubert Davis did throw some zone out there um, in the first half, which uh, I was glad to see just something different. Um, and I also think he, he used some different personnel tonight. You saw some lines with Anthony Harris and Justin McCoy on the floor at the same time. That's simply too strict to, to, to enforce a, a, a uh, defensive mindset within the basketball team. And so I think it's just you take it with a grain of salt because of the competition. You go back and you look at the film, and you can really grade this one and say, look, we did this really, really well in the first half, and we didn't do this well here in the second half. And a lot of that leads to the offensive rebounds where they played really good defense, but just once once, once the ball is shot, you're, the, the possession isn't over. Then you got to get your body on a man and box out a man and not give up those offensive rebounds. What did you think of Carolina's effort tonight on the defensive end of the court? I thought it was better. Um, I'm kind of – I'm with you. I, I don't think that it was perfect, but I, I think that this is just something that you got to deal with with this team. I, I don't know how good – of a defensive team, this team is really going to be. Um, I, I, I mean, they mixed it up with a little bit of zone early. Seems like a lot of Tar Heel fans kind of missed that because from what I saw, most people continued to complain the, about the fact that they never use zone. Um, I saw it as well. And, and I think I want to see it used a little bit more because I think it's definitely – uh, something that that helps this team, but I, I think at the same time it, it's just something you got to deal with. Um, and I think one of the other adjustments that he made that I think was a little more subtle, um, but that got believe it or not got people frustrated because they really just I guess don't seem to understand exactly what he was going for with it. Was the tempo was much slower tonight. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I posed that question to you when we were previewing this game. Is that something that you've got to see going forward as a slower tempo to try to limit the possessions and help your, your yourself on the defensive end of the floor? I think they did that tonight, and it worked. And, and I wonder if that's going to be part of the recipe going forward. Yeah, it sort of limits you a little bit offensively, but you still scored 72 tonight. I think if you don't turn the ball over as much as you did, you probably get better looks. And I still feel pretty confident in the group of guys scoring the basketball that are out there. Um, I, I am concerned about the turnovers, no doubt. And we'll probably talk about those a little bit more uh, here before we get out of here. But I, I think that's one of the things that they did really well tonight. That was an adjustment that Hubert and the coaching staff seemed to make to me, which was let's slow this down, let's limit the possessions that our opponent is going to get, and this will allow us to hopefully be a little more effective on the defensive end because it feels like at times, um, and I think it was very evident on Sunday, that – Carolina was just trying to push the ball up the court and get something so quickly because they wanted to control the tempo and they wanted to play fast. And I think that part of it might be that you've run into some teams that 
are ready for that speed and want to play at that same speed? Because the College of Charleston, they wanted to go even faster than you wanted to go. Um, and I think Tennessee handled the, the up-tempo a, a lot better than they would have probably in past years. But at the same time, I, I, I think that this, you know, may, maybe this Tar Heel team just needs to have things be uh, slowed down just a little bit. And, I mean, you've you got a, a much better half-court offensive team this year than you had a year ago. Um, so I, I, I think – that, that was a subtle adjustment that they made that definitely needs to be pointed out, and, and I commend the staff for that. Well, here's going to be the thing about slowing it down. It's First off, I'm going to have to go with, probably through therapy to, a, to adjust to seeing Carolina not play at the pace I think the game should be played at. But it comes You're back to the that turnover. anyways because of um, the rebounding. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the issue with with the if, if you want to slow the game down, you got to take better care of the basketball. And I got some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. Carolina had sixty five possessions tonight. They scored on thirty three of those possessions, so over fifty percent of the times down the floor they scored. But they turned the ball over, as we mentioned, eighteen times. That's twenty eight percent of tonight's possessions. So seventy eight percent of your possessions resulted in a made basket or a turnover. If you want to limit the possessions because you think you're that's, that's the best way you need to play, and I, I do agree that Carolina is built better in the half court to score the ball effectively and efficiently without playing 70, 80 possessions a night, you can't turn the ball over 18 times. And the issue comes back to it's not it's not just the turnovers, it's the types of turnovers. It's the inability to make quality entry passes into the post from the wing. Um, Leaky Black tonight tried to tried to bounce past the ball 53 feet across the court with one bounce pass. That's never worked in the history of basketball. It's not going to work now. And, oh, by the way, you're a senior. You shouldn't be making that mistake four years into your career. Also, one, two, three, six Tar Heels or more had at least two turnovers or more in tonight's game. I guess it's good that it's all being equally distributed. It's not just one or, you know, two or three guys committing all the turnovers, I guess. But that's that's an area that I think when, when we when we come back after the Michigan game and if Carolina comes out and they turn the ball over 15 times or more, then we can I think then you can say, okay, this is a legitimate issue that's probably not going to get fixed during the season. And I don't really know what the fix is because I don't think you're deep enough to bench players after one or two bad decisions in a row. And then the guys that you're bringing off the bench, there's a reason they're coming off the bench. They're most likely to make the same types of mistakes. I've said it all all my life. I don't mind you turning the ball over if you're playing a sheer, you know, if you're playing 80 possessions or more. If you're playing less than 80 possessions per game, that sweet spot's got to be 12. And right now, they're nowhere near close to that mark. I, I mean, this this is one of the – I mean, there's there's a couple of stats that's, that certainly stick out. That was a great one. I think this is also a great one as well. Brendan Marks, uh, you know, one of, one of the friends of the podcast who's been on a few times with you um, and who, who writes for the News and Observer – and does a tremendous job. 
this is the third straight game where Carolina has had more turnovers than assists. Yep. And, I mean, that's just it, – it just it, – it can't happen. And I, I think the most frustrating part about it is, is – I mean, you saw it a couple of times tonight, um, it, specifically from R.J. Davis. You would have a head-scratching turnover that would just leave you shaking your head, saying, what, what in the world is he doing? And then you'd have possessions where he would come down the floor – and make these tremendous passes. Like, there was one to Armando, goes right off his hands, it ends up being a turnover. But if it would have worked, and it was a good pass, it was on Armando for not being able to handle it. I mean, he, he went through a couple of defenders, basically went uh, no-look pass right to him. And it, there's there's plays that look spectacular that they make, and there's plays that – just leave you saying, I mean, who makes that pass? What I mean, there's there's guys that you know are in high school that never make that pass. Honestly, that that that's there's some passes that I'm pretty sure four year olds playing on little tight goals could make better than some of these guys at times because they're just they're out of there. There were multiple times they were out of control. Um, tonight, where they just leave their feet and try to throw the ball, throw the ball into no man's land, basically just in the middle of the lane. And I was really hoping that with what we saw in the first two games of the season, primarily, that the turnover issues were going to be limited this season. And I felt I felt like this was a team that was showing promise in that department of valuing the basketball. I mean, look, I'm not saying that they're going to be this bad in every game that they play in. Tonight was the, the worst performance that they've had in terms of turnovers. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you had as many guys play in this game as you did, Trying to count it up. Ten? No, 11 guys that played in this game. And all but two of them had turnovers in this game. And the two that didn't have turnovers, they played a minute 40 each. <laughs> I mean, it's – I'm, I'm not really with you on the fact that it's spread out is a good thing. I think that's that's really concerning because it's I was, not just – I was being sarcastic. I, I was hoping so. I, I mean, it is just – I mean, there, there, there are just so many times where I literally just do what I did there, where I just go – I, I, I mean, there's – because there's nothing else that you can say with some of the mistakes that they make. And it's just it, – that kills – momentum because you can have three or four straight baskets in a row come down and have a great opportunity and you just you don't make the right pass inside you try a bounce pass when you should lob it all of a sudden it's a four-point swing and a team can get back into the game and that continues tonight against UNC Asheville it didn't hurt you that much because UNC Asheville is not the greatest shooting team but I, it, there is no way against some of the teams that you're getting ready to face and against teams in the ACC that you can turn the ball over like that again, like you've done the past few seasons. 
and be as successful as you want to be, especially if, like you're saying, you're wanting to slow down the pace. Oh, I don't, I don't want to slow down the pace. Well, but I'm saying if I, what I'm saying, your point was if you want to slow down the pace, you can't turn over. You being Hubert Davis wants to slow it down. I think that's the right decision with what you're doing defensively. But this is the not you. You have to tell them, look, we're slowing it down to help us out defensively. We've got to value the basketball even more than we focused on in the offseason. And that's the other thing that's crazy about this. We are all offseason about how that was one of the biggest things that Hubert Davis was going to focus on. And call me crazy, I believe that that has been a focus of him and his staff. But it's just – it's not coming to fruition right now early on. One thing that was an emphasis all summer long that I think is coming to fruition is the three-point shooting. And six games in, when you're shooting over 40% in all, but uh, in, in five of the six games, I think it's safe to say this is a this is an adequate, very with a, with a, with the potential to be a really good shooting team tonight. Seven of 14 from behind the three-point line, led by R.J. Davis, who was two of six, Dawson Garcia, two of two, and then Brady Manick, two of three. They were five of ten in the first half, two of four in the second half. So even though they were shooting the ball well, I thought they never fell in love with the three, which I thought was really important and is is going to be, I think, the biggest challenge with this team that is going to be more three-point happy. Here's – I'm not going to say the cause for concern about the three-point shooting, but Kerwin Walton tonight, just 0 of 1 from behind Mm -hmm. the three-point line in 15 minutes. You've got more diverse shooting, which is a really, really good thing. You've got your big shooting the three really well. You look at what uh, Manic has done since the start of the season, six of ten on Sunday, two of three tonight. He's found the stroke from behind the three-point line. Dawson Garcia, he looks more comfortable at times, in my opinion, on the perimeter than he does down low on the block. And then you know R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, they're going to get you – their threes are going to come in bunches when, when they do come. But Curl won't steal your best shooter. He is still your most consistent shooter. So I – does Hubert Davis need to get him more involved? And, you know, he's, I think he's been so, you know, he was so focused on getting, you know, Brady Manick and Dawson Garcia going. But you don't want to, you know, wake up in the middle of December, end of, you know, or, or the start of January. You're in ACC play, and your best shooter, who was Kerwin Walton, isn't in rhythm. And when you need him to make shots, those shots aren't going to be there for you. Well, the, the the most concerning part of it to me is that it's back-to-back games with no three-pointers going down for him. Now, he clearly took more in the game against Tennessee than tonight. And I think part of it tonight is you had so much success inside with Armando Baycott. You're not going away from that. And you shouldn't go away from that. We would have gotten angry if you would have said, look, we're going to settle for outside shots because we're just dying to get Kerwin Walton going. you got to take what's there for you. But, yeah, I mean, I I agree that you want to see Kerwin Walton become a little more involved. Um, I mean, he he was on the floor for 15 minutes tonight. I know there are a lot of people that are are just furious that he is not – 
receiving more playing time, especially with Leaky Black playing more minutes than he is. But at this point, I mean, it's just as simple. Leaky's your best defender on a team that isn't really defending all that well to begin with. And he had 11 rebounds tonight. Mm -hmm. So he's doing the little things and – Let's let's not act like Curran is, is is playing out of this world. I mean, this is not a guy that's coming off the bench and knocking down everything he looks at to where you're saying, well, I mean, can we really just not live with with, with the poor defense and, and, and just have him out there? It, it, he, you want to see him get into a rhythm, but at this point, I mean, if you want to win games, I, I, I think you've, you've still got to stick with, with Leaky Black the, with the amount of minutes that he's playing. Um, and you just you, you're you're waiting for Kerwin Walton to get hot. It's going to come at some point. Um, right. and I, I think he's going to be he's going to grow into that role off the bench. Um, but at, at, right now it, it's just it, it's a little bit of a slow start for him. And I, I feel confident that he's a guy with his shooting stroke that will be able to get it on track as as the season goes along. A few more things, and we will go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. The rebounding tonight, you got to love the way they were able to dominate the glass, 51-29, to 29, and they were able to really wear down UNC Asheville in that second half, 38 defensive rebounds um, compared to just 14 for the Bulldogs. But you got to look at those 15 offensive rebounds they allowed. That's the most concerning thing because that's going to be, you know, the, the litmus test for Hubert Davis – and this front court, can they hold up on the defensive end of the glass? And look, some of them tonight, it was just the way the ball bounced. But there were some times where they just simply didn't get a box out. And that was a big issue in the game against Tennessee. I've referenced in that when we recap those games that they gave up, you know, scores on 16 of 17 possessions at one point in that second half. It wasn't on 16 straight makes. It was because they grabbed offensive rebounds and were able to get putbacks. How concerned should we be about giving up 15 offensive rebounds to a, you know, lower tier Division One opponent at home? Man, it's definitely got to be a concern, especially when you look at some of the guys that you're expecting to rebound, you know, at a pretty high level for you against a mid-major team. Armando Baycott, seven rebounds. Three of them were on the offensive end as well, so just four defensive rebounds. Dawson Garcia, just five total rebounds in the game. And there were a couple of times where he was just caught kind of standing around, not really being in position to make a a play on on a rebound uh, when he should have been. Um but at the same time, I mean, I, I like what I'm seeing from, from Leaky Black in that department. I mean, 11 rebounds, a career high for him. Um, so, so definitely a guy that even with some of the turnover issues that he had, and he only had one turnover, it feels like Leaky sometimes makes more mistakes than it actually seems like he is. Right. But, I mean, I still, you know, that, that was one thing that he did really well tonight. Um, you're, you look at, at your backcourt, your starting backcourt combined for 11 rebounds between Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. So you're seeing other guys pitch in for you. You're seeing your guard step up and rebound, which we knew was going to have to be part of the recipe for you this season with the fact that you just are not playing your traditional bigs and, and your depth there isn't great isn't as good as you probably want it to be um the thing that i liked about tonight 
um, it, it, when it when it came to those offensive rebounds is, as you mentioned, those only turned into nine second-chance points. Mm-hmm. So even when Carolina would give up an offensive rebound, it wasn't like they were allowing UNC Asheville to go straight back up and finish. It wasn't like they were allowing UNC Asheville to kick it out and get an easy three-pointer. They did a good job of, even in those situations, finding a way to scramble and be in position to make plays on the basketball. So that's the area where you got to commend them. But, yes, I mean, you would you would want to limit that because what is – I mean, what's going to happen when you got to play a team like Florida State? who has multiple seven-foot guys in the front court that pretty much are there to rebound and block the ball. That's all they're there for. Mm. That could be one of the games that you look at, and it could be a big issue. If you want to beat Duke, you're going you're, you're gonna to have to limit offensive rebounds. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that's concerning, but is it something that – fans should be beside themselves about, I, I don't think you should be there yet because they were able to scramble and make plays even after UNC Asheville got the offensive rebounds. The last thing we're going to talk about, and I, I, not that I'm using the Twitterverse to come up with topics to talk about, but I think you there's a, a legitimate discussion. The freshmen both got to play in the la- in the closing minutes. They both scored their first buckets of their Tar Heel career. DeMarco Dunn made a three. Dontres Styles with a two. There's there's no denying that Carolina has a lack of depth in the front court and even sometimes in the back court with foul troubles. You know. There are depth issues on this team. These guys are going to be a big part of your team. You are you're imagining next year or you know in, in in the years to come. I do think Hubert Davis needs to expand the rotation for right now. Maybe you can tighten it back down to what you're playing right now. Come you know the end of January, the first of February. But right now. If you want to be experimental and you want to figure out what works and what doesn't work, those guys got to be on the floor. And I think with Dunn and Styles, they have enough confidence and they've got enough swag to to bring you something offensively when you need something. If you've got Anthony Harris and Justin McCoy on the floor, because right now you're running into an issue of like when you when you played that lineup. Well, if Kerwin Walton's the other guy on the court, well, defense can key on that guy and make it harder to get perimeter shots um, within your offense. And then, the, you know, then it it just really shrinks the floor and makes it easier to defend you. Is that something that after six games should be in, in the next eight days, Schubert Davis looks at, look at, looks at the rotations, looks at the way his teams has played so far, and – expands the rotation because we're not used to seeing this type of a, of a rotation in November. We're used to seeing these guys on the floor getting meaningful minutes. And that's the one thing in the transition from Roy Williams to Hubert Davis we're not seeing right now. Look, I, I don't have a problem with them playing more minutes to try to figure out if there are guys that you feel are, are, are better than some of the guys that are playing right now and can contribute better than some of those guys. Um, I, I think, yeah, you, you kind of want to compare them with Harris for Dunn and, and, and for Styles, compare him uh, with what Justin McCoy has given you and see if, if, if they really are better options than those guys that are out there. Here's my problem with what I saw from a lot of the fan base tonight. 
this is a classic case of a struggling quarterback in football, of a struggling position player in baseball. Everybody always wants to see the backups. Well, let's see these guys because they got to be better than the guys that are out there. There's no guarantee that these guys are going to be that great. There's a reason that they're not playing more minutes out of the gate already. And remember that we did see a little bit of Dontre Styles the other day in Connecticut, and he didn't look great. So I just caution people to go to the mindset of, well, if we put these guys in, we know, well, there, there's, a, there's so much talent with these guys, they're going to be way better than the guys that are out there. I don't think that it is a foregone conclusion that if you put them in, you're going to be a better defensive team. You're going to be able to score the ball better. I feel like that is just people wanting to see something different and thinking that the results are automatically going to be better. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to see a little bit more of those guys. It's early in the season. You're going through the out-of-conference. And, and, look, they may experiment with that a little bit. The problem is, is that – you're, you're, I mean, you look at how difficult your schedule is. You're, you're wanting your veteran guys who have been in those types of games before, been in those scenarios, to be the guys that are playing the most minutes. And, I mean, even if you're giving Anthony Harris and, and, and Justin McCoy minutes to Styles and Dunn, you realize that's not really that big of a difference from what we saw them do tonight. I mean, it's it's a marginal difference, but they're not be they're they're not coming in and all of a sudden making a major impact on games. I mean, Dontre Styles is not all of a sudden a guy that's going to be dropping fifteen. Um, if he's dropping fifteen in in six minutes that Justin McCoy played tonight, he should be starting. So I I just I, I'm I'm seeing what people are saying. I think it makes sense to try to get them a little bit more playing time. But let's not act like these are true freshmen that should be coming in and playing significant roles just yet. These guys, they're talented, but these were guys when you brought them in that you knew they were developmental. It was going to take them time to even become part of the rotation. So you need to be – a little bit patient with these guys. Don't try to rush them out there because that can hurt them in terms of their long-term development. Well, guys, that's going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Four Corners podcast. Uh, before we let you go, I do want to get you guys to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. I had you covered with all things UNC Asheville with a preview. A recap is already up on the website. So go ahead and check all of that stuff out. As for the football side of things, Carolina at NC State on Friday night. Anthony will be getting you guys ready with a preview of the matchup with the Wolfpack. Following that, there will be a recap and a stock report up as Carolina's football season, regular season will come to a close on Friday. As for the podcast side of things, we're on the Basketball Podcast Network. We host through Megaphone, but we're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. You name it, the Four Corners Podcast is there. Go ahead and give us a like. Review us as the host. But we most importantly want you guys to subscribe. 
That way you'll get every podcast right there in your podcast library. We're doing some different things this year. Sometimes I'm doing solo recaps. Sometimes Anthony will join me night of via Zoom. Some days we will wait until the next day um, to come on and talk about Carolina's performance on the basketball court. So make sure you do subscribe. That way you get every podcast right there in your podcast library. Let's go ahead and wrap up. This edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I'm like Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.